Turn your Bibles to Psalm 121. We're in this series about songs we sing on the way to church. I want you to go in your mind to we're on the road. Remember Shady Morgan started out first because they're the furthest away from church. And so they're falling in the road at Warrington. All their crops and their flocks and their cows and their kids and their wagons. They're on the way. They get about to my house about half a day later, and we fall in line with them, and we're on the way, and then, uh, I don't know who's next. We get in line, and we're just more and more of us are gathered along the road, and as we're on the road, we're going to church. Three times a year, they did this. They're going up the mountain. It's a hard road, much harder than our road, as hard as it is in the heat. They were going uphill. I was with a pastor this week. He said, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the 15 songs they sung on the way to church. He goes... Wow, that's great. I've been there. He said, I went to the temple. You ever been? I said, no, I've been to church, but I've never been to the temple in Jerusalem. He said, I've been there. And he begins to describe the road to me. He says, you'll never forget it if you ever go. It's straight up. It's a hard walk. And when you get there, you can look down and you can see everything. It's, you can look around you and see everything below you. And so I want you each week as we look at these verses to begin to put that in your mind. We're all coming together. All the kids and everybody, and we're beginning to sing, anticipating what's going to happen when we get to the Lord's house. So Psalm 121, this is a familiar one. We'll start at verse 1. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither, neither sleep, slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth. And forevermore. Remember, this is a song they would have sung. I want to help you mark your Bibles if you write in your Bible. I want to just give you the theme of this psalm is found in verse 5, and it's under the statement, The Lord is my keeper. You see that? that that's the main theme of this song. That would be the repetitive stanza, The Lord is my keeper. To keep means to, to watch over. It's where we get the word in the Bible, which is the watchman. You remember the watchman of the city that would be in a high tower watching the city by night to make sure nothing was coming in to uh, come against the city. Uh, but this word, uh, keep, is translated to guard, to protect, to watch over, to preserve in many different uh, uh, ways in the Bible. But I want you to see that this word, Keep, which is the Hebrew word shamar, is six times in this song. So I want to help you underline those. It's the same word in verse 3. At the end of verse 3, it says, He who keeps you, you'll underline keep there. Then verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel. The word keep there is the Hebrew word shamar. It's the same word in verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. It's the same word in verse 7 where it's translated in, in the New King James to preserve. It's the same word, to keep. 
the Lord shall keep you from evil. And then the end of verse 7, he shall keep your soul or preserve. And then in verse 8, the Lord shall preserve or keep your going out and your coming in. So this word is used six times in this psalm. That the Lord is our keeper, our protector, our watchman. He, he guards you and he protects you. So let's look at it. Number one in your notes. He says in verse 1, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Now imagine we're all walking up that mountain going towards the temple, towards church. And he looks, looks and he lifts up his eyes towards the church where he's going, towards the hills where he's going. And he seems to do a, the Old Testament does this a lot. I called this when I was a coach, I called it self-talk. Self-talk, how you talk to yourself in your head. In other words, do you, in your head, do you say, well, I got this, I can do that. Or in your self-talk, do you say, you dummy, you can't do that, right? I mean, how you talk to yourself is important. Y'all know that? How you preach to yourself in your own head is important. And so the Psalms in particular will do this often. They'll talk to themselves in this way, and that's what he's doing in verse 1. He says, I will lift up to the hill." my eyes to the hills. I'm lifting up my eyes to church. I'm going to church. And then he asked this question. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? Uh, this psalm, it could be said, is a summation of the gospel. It's a summation of what it means to be saved. And to have this question in your mind that you need help is the beginning place of salvation. You know that? When God begins to work on a person who's not saved and they need to be saved, the first thing he does is he convinces them of this truth. You need some help, man. You, you need some help in your life, and God's the only one who can do it. Do you know that babies, when they're born, are the only people who naturally know they need help? Babies, when they're born, they know they need help, and they're just crying out for it. You know, they're crying out. I could have me one on cue if they were with me, paying attention. I probably already put them to sleep. They would cry right now and say, I need help. But as these babies turn into little children, even as early as the age two, they no longer think they help, need help anymore, do they? They're already saying, I can do it, Daddy. <laughs> they automatically, even at their earliest vocabulary, can say, I can do it. I got this. They think they can do it on their own. I wonder if even when the baby's crying, instead of crying, help me, the baby's actually crying, I got this. <laughs> I can do it on what we don't know. But maybe even then they're thinking they can handle it. You cannot handle things on your own. You are not self-sufficient. And so as the psalmist, the singer, is lifting up his eyes to the, to the church where he's going, he's going there, but he's not got there yet. And as he's going there, here's what he's thinking about. I'm about to walk into the house of the living God. That's what he's thinking about. I'm about to go into the house of the living God, and when I go in there, I'm going to face God. And I'm not worthy. I'm not fit. When I get to the door, if there was a knocking at the church, which we don't do, thankfully, but if there was a knocking at the church, you're not worthy to knock, much less to walk in. He knows he needs help. I've told you how many times, I don't know, but I've told you many times that my majority of my prayers, I would say greater than 80% of my prayers, my prayer life is this, Lord, help me. 
I just that's the truth. If you knew how often I cry out to God, help me. I do it all the time. I, I've done it so much today already. Help me, Lord, is my greatest prayer that I pray most constantly. But look what he says in verse 2. He, he answers his own question in this song. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I need help. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It is a declaration that you in your own self-talk, in your own mind, must be able to declare. In your greatest times of need, you have to believe and know that God is not against you, but for you. What is the key to holding on to your faith when all hell comes against you? What is the key to trusting God in those darkest moments, in those deepest trials, in those greatest catastrophes? You have to know this. Your help comes from God, and that means God is not against you. God is for you. I pray, dear God in heaven, help everybody that attends Lighthouse Church to know the answer to this question. Where does my help come from? And they will be able to declare with confidence, my help comes from the Lord. And that means this. You believe God Almighty is for you. Not because of anything you've done. Not because of how good you've been. But because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus did. You with certainty can say, my God is for me. My help comes from the Lord. Look what it says. Who made heaven and earth. What kind of helper is he? He's a helper who can create all this. He created all the heavens. He created all the earth. I could spend a, a bit of time elaborating on the stars and the sun and the moon. Elaborating on big animals and small animals and birds and fishes and the depths of the sea and the, and the heights of the mountains. God created all of that. That creating, powery, powerful God. He is where your help comes from. So I have a question for you. Next Sunday when you're coming to church, on your way to church, I want you to think like this. God is for me. We're going to the Lord's house. God is for me. Do you ever think like that? God is for me. God is for my family. God is for my marriage. My help comes from the Lord. Look what it says in verse 3. What shall be given to you, or what shall... I'm sorry, verse 3. He... I keep switching because I'm in a place here in my Bible where Psalms 121 switches pages. It makes it hard for me as a preacher, but anyway, stay with me. Verse 3. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He will not allow your foot to be moved. Usually when the Bible talks about this, and it does in several places, it talks about your foot not slipping or you, you not stumbling. It's usually under the connotation of you carrying a heavy burden on your back and God not allowing you to fall even under burden. In Psalms 55, verse 22, it says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, that is, for your foot to slip. In Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
one of our missionaries we used to support, Kevin and Christina Buss, who were, I understand, still in Russia, used to quote this verse often, Psalm 191. He would say, angels have charge. He had uh, four little girls, and uh, one time they were on the mission field, and somehow those girls you know, got outside, and they got on top of one of those stone buildings in Russia that were usually pretty tall, made all out of stone, concrete, and one of his daughters fell off that building from from way up and, and didn't even get hurt. And he Kevin would say, angels have charge. <laughs> Boy, praise God, angels had charge. How many times have has God protected you and your foot not been moved? I want you to also understand this in the context of your path as you go through your day. Your foot not being moved means that God directs your path. As you get up in the morning, you have plans, you have things you're going to do, things you're going to accomplish. And how many times does it go a different way? Your path changes course or it goes a different way. God orchestrates your feet and how they're moved throughout even the days that you live. It says in verse 4, or the end of verse 3, you keep, he who keeps you will not slumber. And then in verse 4, it kind of backs that up. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall not, neither slumber nor sleep. He's making this declaration to you that God, as he is your keeper, your protector, he does not slumber. And then he says, sort of as an illustration, look at Israel. Look over here at Israel. He goes from personal to this corporate look. Look at Israel, how I neither slumbered nor slept in watching after Israel. Uh, it's key to understand what these two words mean. The word slumber means to be drowsy or to drift off. That's what I do when I drive. I get drowsy quick. If you are riding with me, you should pay attention to the road for me. If you're riding with me, you should be ready to hit me or elbow me because I can quickly get drowsy. It's what men do when they uh, fall asleep on the couch or in their chair and then they try to say hey I wasn't even asleep when we, you women know they, they were they were slumbering so men from now on you can just be like the Lord or not like the Lord and say I don't even slumber I just closed my eyes it was a time of prayer I was praying for John or whatever you want to say but to slumber is just to be drowsy and to drift off but the next word when it says in verse 4 to sleep has this connotation of going through the night. It means to have a long, deep sleep. And so he says about Israel, he says, I do not slumber or sleep. It means for sure God has never slept on Israel. He's never been long away from Israel, but he's saying, I've never even slumbered. I've never even drifted off. It means that God doesn't miss anything. Personalize it. In your life, it means God doesn't miss anything. He's not drifting off. He's not falling asleep. He's not dazing away from what's going on in your life. God never says, oops. Wasn't paying attention right there. Didn't see what was about to happen in your life. I, I'm sorry, I just wasn't paying attention. God never says that. He's declaring the opposite here. He says he doesn't slumber nor sleep. The point here is not because you deserve it, 
But because of who God is, He is always watching you, always caring for you, always guarding your life and protecting you. As we know Israel from reading our Bibles, Israel was not a perfect people, were they? They had men who did many things that would be called sinful and wrong. You could say they were unworthy. Yet God says he never slumbered nor slept nor abandoned them. Verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Now he, he kind of just states it in a very personal way. The Lord is your keeper. I want you to say that with me. The Lord is my keeper. Would you just say that? The Lord is my keeper. And that means to protect. I want to talk more about this word keeper right here. I told you it's the Hebrew word shamar. It's used 470 times in the Bible. The first time it's used is in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. And it's in terms of Adam. And it says that Adam is to keep the garden. In other words, Adam was to watch over and tend and care for the garden in the Garden of Eden. It's used again in Genesis chapter 18, verse 29, when it says that Abraham taught his children to keep the way of the Lord. But most of the time in the scripture, it's not used of our keeping something, but it's used of God keeping us. And so here in verse 5, it declares it very boldly and very personally, the Lord is your keeper. In the Hebrew world, most everybody would have been a farmer. Most everybody would have been tending and raising some sort of livestock. And so it, in the context of sheep, it would have been common for a shepherd to be out away from home with his flock of sheep, and he would have to camp overnight. And so in order to protect his flock, to protect his herd, the shepherd would, would orchestrate or build, if you will, some sort of corral around that herd out of a thorn bush. He would build a hedge of bushes, in particular thorn bushes, sharp thorny bushes, and then he would herd his flock inside that surrounding of thorn bushes, and then he would stay awake all night and guard the flock as they were inside this hedge of protection. This word uh, means thorny, this shamar, this word we're looking at, it means thorny. It also means hedge. It, it, it is literally a thorny hedge of protection around you. And so if you think about that hedge for just a minute, that hedge around you or around your herd, because it was made of thorns, would have kept others from getting in. But it was also a hedge that would contain the herd or, or keep the herd together. Herd them together so they couldn't get away or escape. And that's what it means here. The Lord is your keeper. Look at it in verse 5. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord is the shade for your right hand. It has a reference to his closeness. I was at the golf course a while back and I, I was playing golf and riding on the golf cart and I drove up into this area and there was a bunch of little kids playing golf and they all had a, a walking cart, if you know what that is. It's a little three-wheeled cart that holds their golf clubs and they pull it, they walk and pull this little golf cart. And all these kids had a huge umbrella taped to the top of this cart. 
And it wasn't raining, it was sunny. It was really hot and really sunny, and they had this big umbrella. So they're pulling their cart with their golf clubs, and they got this really big umbrella over top of them to give them shade. And it was about 20 of them. And there was one girl that didn't have an umbrella. So I'm driving by, you know, I'm just passing. I got my cart. I'm driving past them, and I'm like, look at that cool girl right there. She's tough. She don't need an umbrella like the rest of these wimps. And I just yelled out to her, hey, you're the toughest one out here. You don't even need an umbrella. And I just drive right on by. And she yells back at me, they didn't have any umbrellas left. <laughs> so I realized, I started to stop and tell her this, but I didn't. I just kept right on driving. I realized not only is she not tough, she's also a complainer. <laughs> anyway, forget that. But they were doing this for these kids to give them shade. Think about this. This picture, God is the shade on your right hand. It means this, not even the sun can get to you. Not even the sun can get to you. He says that in, in verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. It, it, is, a, it is a statement that, that means this, God's so close to you. Think about this, you're thinking in the context of God is your protector. God is your keeper. God is so close to you, the sun can't even get to you. The moon can't even get to you. That is light. The light that shines, God is there to shade you from even too bright of light. How much more is he going to shade you from the attacks that could come during the course of your day on the path that you're on? Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a beautiful picture. How God is there with you, abiding with you, and you're under His shade. He's that close to you. Look at verse 7. He says, The Lord shall keep you from all evil. This is where we realize at this point in the song that it is not simply a temporal song about going to church up there on top of Jerusalem, on Mount Zion. This is the point in the song where we realize that this has a more eternal connotation. It is not simply referring to going to church here in, in an earthly building today, but it's referring to uh, the, the real place that that building is an example of. The Bible often talks about in Hebrews how that earthly things are but shadows of heavenly things. In other words, he gives us things on earth as a shadow that we can see and begin to understand because there is a real one in heaven that one day we're going to get to go into. And that's the way the church building is. The church building is a temporary shadow that there's going to be this place where we're going to get to go and live with God. And, and not just on Sunday, but every day, and, and be with God and be in God's house. And there is a real city called Jerusalem, and there is a real temple in heaven, and that's where God actually sits on his throne, and one day you're going to get there, and he says in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. In other words, you're going to get there, and no evil shall harm you until you do. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21 through 26, he says, My son, do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. 
Yes, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The Lord will keep you from all evil. But also in verse 7 it says, He shall keep your soul. Literally here, your, your very life, the depths of your life, which is your soul. It's a reference here to your salvation being kept. You're going to be kept from the day you're saved here to the day you're taken to glory to be with Him. He will guard your soul. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, We are kept by the power of God. It's not your power that keeps you saved. Praise God. Amen? It's not your power that keeps you saved. It's God's power that keeps you saved. I described this a few weeks ago. It's not as if you've got to reach up to God and hold on for dear life until the day that you die. It's that God's reaching down to you. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5. You are kept by the power of God. You don't even hold on to Him. He holds on to you, and He will keep you to the day that you die, and you're with Him in glory. He guards your soul. He guards your life, that is. He guards your salvation. Then verse 8, the Lord shall keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This does have an earthly connotation and an eternal connotation. I uh, looked this week and did a little bit of research. I'm not going to give it to you because it was quite lengthy, but I looked at all the times that Israel had been driven out of Jerusalem, taken into captivity, and, and all the times they had come back over the course of their history. Let me just tell you, it was a lot. It was a lot of times they've been driven out of Jerusalem, come back to Jerusalem. How many times have they gone out and God brought them back? Gone out and God brought them back. And bless God, bless their hearts. They're fighting for their land today. Today they're fighting for their land. And so God declares in this song the final stanza. It's like a glorious stanza. The, the final song part says... God will keep you going out and God will keep you coming in. And it does have an earthly connotation for Jerusalem and their fight, constant fight for their land. But it has a heavenly constantation, connotation in, the, in regards to dying. When you die, when you go out from here, you come in to there. If you've ever heard me preach a funeral where I describe passing away, I like to talk about it in regards to cattle. And if you've heard me do that, I'll talk about how when you've got those cows and they beat down that grass to a nub and it's about three inches of it left, but in the pasture just right beside it, there's grass knee deep. And as a cattleman, that's some yummy looking stuff. If you've seen that grass, I can almost taste it. I don't eat it, but I almost could. It's so sweet and looks so good to me just to get to walk through it knee deep. And cows are over there and no grass and no food. And when you open that gate, they begin to kick and buck, even if they're not rowdy cows. They'll kick and buck, and they run deep into that deep grass before they'll start eating on it. They're just so excited to be there. That's what it happens, men, when you die. That's what happens, women, when you die. God closes one door, and he opens another door. He closes your eyes here and opens your eyes there. He shuts your breath on this world and gives you breath in heaven with him in glory. That's what passing away is all about. He's guarding. He's protecting you even as you go out of here and come into there. He's guarding. He's protecting you 
even as you die on this world and live in heaven, look at the end of it, don't miss that, from this time forth and forevermore. I left that long word forevermore as the blank. I wanted to write it out. That's a hard word, isn't it? Forevermore. You go from here to there, and it is then forevermore. You're not coming back, and you don't want to. You're going to be with the Lord for eternity from then on. How come? Because God has guarded you, and God has protected you, and God has been your keeper in this world, and He's going to keep you there from then on forevermore. I just want to close with one final thought on this before we get into our application. Uh, there is a, a, a negative sense in which I found a comedian some years back when my kids were little. They, uh, we had a comedian that would make fun of this passage, this, this hedge of protection that God gives around us. I can remember my pastor that when I got saved when I was 15 years old, how often he prayed, Lord, put a hedge of protection around John, around his family. He did that often, and I, I never really understood it. I, I'm, I'm against my better judgment going to show you this clip of this comedian. Here, bear with us just a minute. Uh, let's, let's watch this real quick. Tim Hawkins, if you haven't heard of him, he's good, clean. You can let your kids listen to him, good comedian. I think the way we pray is, prayer is a very powerful thing, but I think it's when you grow up in church, it's just you hear prayers all the time, different styles and stuff, little quirks that people have when they pray. I don't know, little phrases that I don't understand to this day. But we use the phrases, but we, that's just what we heard growing up. We think that's just the right thing to say when we pray, you know, like hedge of protection. You ever hear that? You hear that a lot. Hedge of protection. Damn, we are praying a hedge of protection around you, buddy. That's right, a hedge. Around you and your whole family. A hedge, huh? I don't mean to complain. Is that the best you can do? How about a thick cement wall? Maybe some razor wire on top of that bad boy. Get a set of clippers, get right through that thing. I'm sure the devil's got a set of those. I mean, you think a hedge is gonna scare the devil away? What is this greenery? I can't get through that. I was going to try to do that little bit for you about it. <laughs> the point is not that the hedge, the thorny hedge, is a force to protect you from the devil and from all the things that come against you. The point is that the, the thorny hedge is there to keep you and me from running too far away from the Lord. Because as long as we're close to him, he's got, he's got all the power to guard you, all the power to protect you. So the point of the hedge is to keep you from running away. And I want you to know that God is your protector. Even when you try to run away, he'll put a hedge in your way. And he won't let you go so far. Isn't that good news? 
Even when you, as a saved man, try to sneak away for a little while, try to walk away from the Lord, His hedge is there to protect you. And I believe this, it's not even something we need to pray for. They sung about it because it was real. They didn't sing about it because they were praying for it. That hedge is there to protect you. To protect your children. To protect the members of this church from going so far. Listen, you can't run but so far from God, He won't let you. And the, the measures He will take to keep you from going so far will get heavier and heavier. Sharp, you could say sharper and sharper. The Lord is your protector. Let's go into application. Just got three points of application. Number one, this keeping of God is so great that the devil accuses God about this keeping that he does, this protecting he does. He does this with Job, if you remember, in Job chapter 1, verse 10. This is the devil speaking. Listen to what he says to God. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. What's the point? The point is this. Even the devil knows God has a hedge of protection around those who are his children. So much so that even the devil is sort of shaking his fist at God and accusing God and saying, Look, you he is who he is because you've protected him. And we should say, Yes! He has what he has because you have protected him. And we should say, yes. Let the devil, let him accuse my God of what my God's done for me. And I would say, praise his name for it. Let him accuse my God for all the things that God has done in protecting and guarding and being there to protect and guard my family. And I would say, amen. The one time I would amen the devil for all of his protection. For all the Lord's protection that the devil is accusing God of. Number two, men must be very unbelieving for God to assure us so often of his keeping. That's the truth, ain't it? In this psalm, six times God says that he is our keeper. He personalizes it. He says he is your keeper. He, he gives illustrations about it. He says it's like shade on your hand. He says it's so your foot won't stumble. He says it's going to protect you from evil. He says it's going to protect your soul. He goes all the way into glory. For God to be so repetitious in saying again and again that He's going to keep me and He's going to protect me. He knows something about me. He knows that when bad things happen, He knows that when troubles come, one of the first things I'm going to wonder about is, where's God, and did God protect me? And so this song is to assure me in my weak faith over and over that God is going to keep me and protect me and guard me. And I say the same to you, brothers, because I'm the same way. You men of weak faith, you women, wimpy women of weak faith, who don't believe the living God when some little thing happens in your life or some big thing happens in your life, I'm here today as your preacher to praise God and say, God tells you six times. Let's do that. Six times, God is your keeper. Let's do it personal. Let's do it together. Say, God is my keeper. God is my keeper. God is my keeper. God is my keeper. 
God is my keeper. God is my keeper. God is my keeper. He doesn't want you to doubt it, does he? He wants you to know it. He don't want you to have some crux of unbelief in the moment of need. He wants you to be able to declare with great honesty inside your own heart and life. God is for me, and God is my keeper, and God is protecting me. Church, when people come into this church, there is to be given to them by God and the preaching of the word a great assurance of this fact. God is for them, and God is protecting them. When people come into this church, there is to be a transferring of their gaze from themselves heavenward towards the Lord. And so even attending this church is to be orchestrated. Church here is to happen in such a way that people's eyes would be turned toward heaven and the Lord's protection. This is why we need repetition in our songs. How many years ago when I was a young man, I thought, we didn't need repetition in our songs. I thought it was even a negative thing. And, and I, I heard a lot of other preachers talking bad about a lot of the new songs that repeated stuff over and over. And so I kind of fell on the bandwagon. Then one day I was reading Revelation in the Bible, and I saw how many times they repeat to God, You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. And even uh, begin to own for myself the need of that repetition. How much have we as a church experienced in recent days that song we sing about how much God loves us? And we sing it over and over, how much God loves us. I don't know about you, but that song stirs my soul. And it gets a, it gets a sense of the presence of God in this place when we sing about how much God loves us over and over. Why is that the case? Because, bless God, we need to know God loves us. And we're often quick to doubt it. But to sing it over and over and say how much God loves you is a powerful thing. Why? Because it's true. And the Spirit gets in that song and bears witness with the words of that song into the depths of your heart. And it says over and over, the Spirit does, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Right? We need songs about how God keeps us. How He guards us and protects us. In the New Testament, He talks about how God never leaves us. Not six times in the New Testament, but three times. It's a triple negative. He says, God never leaves you nor forsakes you. It's in the original language, a triple negative. It's like saying, God never, never, never leaves you nor forsakes you. God knows the areas where we need stronger belief. And in his word, he often reassures us repetitiously of the truth of what kind of God he is. Thank God. Thank God. He knows what we need to hear. Number three. On your journey, that is, in the days that you live on this earth, believe that God is your keeper. I know that we can't muster up the Spirit. We can't muster up things in the church. But I, if I, as a preacher, could do something, if I could just grab you by the shoulders today and shake you, I would and say, God is your keeper. God is your protector. Don't you doubt it. And so I just want to declare the reality of the truth of the Word of God today openly. Even, even in bad things, even in hard times, even in sickness, even in, in death, 
God is your protector. He is your keeper. And God has not allowed your foot to slip. He has not allowed your foot to slip. He has taken you down the path he wants you on. He has never slumbered and certainly has not slept. He's not even slumbered, though. It's, a, it's an argument from greater to greater. He's saying, I don't even slumber. I don't even drift off. Even in bad things, God is your keeper. God is your protector. How close is he when you're going through your bad things? He is shade on your right hand. It's that close. God keeps you from all evil. God keeps your soul. God keeps you going out and you're coming in even to the time when you go out of this world and go into the realm of heaven and then even forevermore. Praise God. He is your keeper. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this song. It is a great word of encouragement to us today. We declare how great a God you are to say to us six times in our unbelief that you are watching over us and protecting us. Lord, I know, I know that personally I need that kind of reassurance that you're watching over me and protecting me and guarding me. And I thank you for that. God, I know that as a, as a husband, I need that kind of reassurance from my wife that you're watching over her and you're protecting her and you're guarding her. And for that, I thank you. And God, as a father, oh, as a father, Lord, how I need reassurance that you're watching over my children. Lord, I got children now in another state my buddy Eric's got a child in another country. Praise God, Lord, that you reassure us that you're watching over our children, guarding them and protecting them. I thank you today for that reassurance, Lord. And I give you praise, Lord, because I declare today openly that we, we know and we believe you are our keeper. You are our protector. You are our guardian. And for that, we praise you in Jesus' name. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name for you being our protector. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. You protect us from things we don't even see. You protect us from things we don't even know about that are there crouching at our door trying to lead us astray and harm us. Lord, today we, join with me now, we gather as a group of believers and we together today declare how great you are as our keeper, Lord. We declare that we believe you and we put our faith in you. Praise Jesus that you are our keeper, Lord. We bless your name today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?